0: Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. We're continuing in our sermon series called Urban Apologetics. For those of you who haven't been here, we've been going through a sermon series called Urban Apologetics Two um, sermons ago, we focused on the image of God and how we all have dignity. And especially of people who've been told they haven't had dignity, like African Americans. You have dignity. That's why we stand amazed. Our God told us He made us in His image. And then the next sermon was on that image being distorted and that sin, it, it went in every direction. But God's salvation also went in every direction. His redemption was comprehensive as sin was comprehensive. And we're going to continue in that, but today I get to talk about evangelism and outreach. Everyone say evangelism. 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 It's a hard word to say. It just comes from the Greek word good news. We profess good news. Evangelism is professing good news in our words and in our deeds. It's sharing the good news that we have a, a Lord and Savior. That's what our passage is about, but before we go to Acts 1, we're starting in verse 6. Acts 1, it's in the New Testament. Before we go there, Acts 1, verse 6, I want you to consider, do you know anyone who shared the faith? Who do you think of who shared the faith with you or who shared the faith with others? What do you think about when you think about evangelism and outreach, or who do you think about it? Acts 1, 6 through 8. Starting in verse 6, the word of the Lord says, So when they had come together, they asked him, they're asking Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God. Yeah, thanks be to him. He's speaking right now through his word. Before we dive in, um, it's important to, to understand this context, like what's happening here. First of all, this is the early church. This is the people God had called. And one thing to point out is that they were a small people. In Acts one fifteen later, it says that they were about 120 people. So they were small. But they were also an oppressed people. In Acts 6, we hear about Stephen being martyred to death for professing his faith. You all know that story? They were also a persecuted people. In Acts 8, we hear of Saul ravaging the church. And this is actually a quote from Acts 8. Ravaging the church and entering house after house dragging off men and women, and committed them to prison. So this, this, this group of people, they were unjustly arrested. They were killed at the hands of violent men. They were small, they were oppressed. In Acts 12, actually we hear that James and Peter, they both, they both get arrested. And King Herod kills James. He kills him. And the stories continue. The stories in Acts do not shy away from rated R stuff. It doesn't shy away from our reality either. The stories are actually, when you think about this, if you imagine that you're the people receiving this message, you're being told, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. But you're a small people. You probably feel abandoned, or you feel weak, maybe weary. This is important to highlight the context, because actually that's where we overlap. Some of you have come here today I don't know what your struggle is, but I know for many of us, we struggle to share the gospel. We struggle to bear witness to the gospel because of some of the same reasons that they struggled. Feeling like we're small, feeling like we're abandoned, feeling like we don't really have something to offer. We don't have the intellectuality. There's too many hindrances. The cost is too great. Some of you I know go to some schools around here. And if you start teaching as a teacher that Jesus is Lord, you could get fired. The hindrances are many, everywhere, on TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, all the other ones, if you guys can help me name them. Did I miss TikTok? I missed one. In all of those, you're being taught not to stand for your faith, not to profess and bear witness to the truth. Because if you do, you know, you're, you're a bigot. You're someone who's proclaiming something that's too exclusive. And so the reality is, you know, just like the early church, that's receiving this passage, we too can feel small, we can feel insignificant, we can feel like, God, you chose the wrong people for this mission. You chose the wrong people to stand up in the midst of so much hostility. In fact, there's a lot of, there's a lot of writers, I love to read philosophy, so let me, let me nerd out for a second. A lot of philosophers say that we're living in a post-Christian society. No longer do people know stories from Scripture. We're living in a different world where people don't commonly go to church on Sunday. Do you all know that? It's true, right? This is the society we live in. And so, if you're a Christian, you're challenged in every direction. Intellectually, emotionally, relationally. You know, you can lose some friendships if you claim Jesus is Lord. X is not Lord. In particular, in the West Side, there are lots of... We've been studying this book called Urban Apologetics. There are a lot of... I don't know if you guys can see that. There are a lot of groups that this book talks about that I'm sure you all know. They're called black religious identity groups uh, that invite others into believing that Christianity, it's the white man's religion. Have you ever heard that? You can't, you can't be a Christian because if you're a Christian, then you stand with white oppressors. you heard that? Or Nation of Islam, black Hebrew Israelites, they actually teach that Christianity is an opiate to the masses that began in Western Europe. And although it is important to hear some of these critiques, it is. A lot of the critiques that come from some of these black religious identity groups are important for us to hear. And so I want us to hear some of those right now as we're considering how we receive this message as a people who feel weak, abandoned, unseen, one of the critiques is that Christianity has been whitewashed. All the art has Jesus pictured as white, right? Even the music doesn't sound like anything but white Jesus or a consumeristic suburban version of Jesus. And, and, the, and the, the, the depictions continue. This is the world that our context lives in. So not only do you have the ordinary hardships of being a Christian, but then you have the hardships of being told by your own people that you're abandoning them if you're a Christian. And so you can feel like trusting and following Christianity, you're trusting the wrong view. And you can feel like you're just a dog that's being thrown out. Or you're a person being thrown out to be fed by the dogs. But, and it's important to to, to highlight that, but, (laughs) but God But God, who is rich in mercy, who's full of great love, but God chose this people, this peculiar people, to tell them, you will be my witnesses. When the Spirit has come upon you in power, you will be my witnesses. And what's interesting, and I'm already going into this, (laughs) um, I won't go into it yet, but it's important to highlight that we're receiving that same story they received, we're receiving that same message. We're receiving the message that tells us you must bear witness to the gospel. Why? Why are we giving that message? Because what happened, Jesus died and then he rose. And the power of his resurrection right now, we're seeing it. Jesus, everyone say, ascends. This is, this is a, an important doctrine that sometimes we don't talk about. But Jesus doesn't only rise, he ascends. And where is he right now, church? Say it again. Where is he right now? He is our king, seated at the right hand of God. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us. Right now, we're living in that age where the Holy Spirit indwells us as Jesus is our king. Sometimes my friends and I, we get together and we have some drinks. Um, It's really cool when you're holding a really cold pint of soda. And then, um... (laughs) Sorry, um... (laughs) But we say when we're hanging out, we're holding the drink. We, we, we toast and we start our, our night of hanging out. We say, to the king. Everyone say, to the king. the king. That's the age we're in right now. Jesus is standing at the right hand of God and he's given us the Holy Spirit. We must therefore bear witness to the gospel. So we're just going to talk about three things. What is it? What is it? What is bearing witness to the gospel? Why? Why do we do it and how can we do it? What is it? look with me in Acts 1 in verse 1. I know it's before our passage, a couple verses earlier. Acts 1 verse 1 says, in the first book, this is Luke. He he wrote Luke Acts. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Everyone say, "Do do and teach. So what is it? It's doing and teaching what Jesus did and taught. It's doing and teaching as. Jesus did not taught. That's critical to understand, because many of us have come here today, and we're really good at the teaching. Right? Some of y'all on social media are like, I'm good at teaching. Some of you are good at speaking at people about Jesus, but you don't have a relationship with that person. It's okay, I think God uses that. I know there's been evangelism explosion stuff, and God has used that. But then on the other hand, some of you come here, and you're really good at the doing but not the teaching. You're like a justice warrior, but never open your mouth to say, Jesus is my Lord. He loves you. He's here. He will come back. Jesus is king now. So what is it? It's doing and teaching as Jesus did and taught. Another way to think about this, it's, it's walking the talk. Back when I was in Chattanooga, we used to sing this song. I don't know if you guys sing this song. We would say, walk the talk. We're going to walk that talk. Walk the talk. Y'all know it? We're going to say Do you have faith, my brother? Then we say sisters. Do you have faith, my sisters? Hey, yeah, it's really funny because sometimes James Ward would sing that. If you guys know James Ward and he would do the girls part and he would do that too, like, oh, yes, we should. Um, What is it? Bearing witness to the gospel is doing and teaching. It's walking the talk, talking the walk. This stand keeps going down. Um, Walking the talk. If you have your Bible, we're going to do it old school. I'm sorry I don't have slides today. Matthew 28. It's the last chapter in Matthew. Many of us know this. It's the Great Commission. There in Matthew 28, it says, Jesus came to them. He's coming to his disciples. This is after Jesus is resurrected. resurrection Jesus comes to them. And he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So Jesus, in Matthew 28, the same thing is being highlighted His people, what what, what is bearing witness to the gospel? What is bearing witness to the gospel? It's doing and teaching what Jesus did and taught. It's proclaiming and demonstrating the truth that we believe. Is that like too loud, that static? Y'all hear that? All right. But then the next thing, what else is it? It's also seeing Jesus as Lord. What do I mean? Look in verse 6, in our passage. Acts 1, verse 6. It says, So when they had come together... They asked him, they're asking Jesus. And listen to what they call him. Lord. That means master. And then they ask this question. And I want you guys to feel this question. It says, Lord, will you? They're looking at him. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Notice. They're calling him Lord, which I just mentioned. So they're saying he's he's their master, he's their Lord, he's their God. But at the same time, they're talking about this kingdom. Will you restore this kingdom to Israel? So they're connecting Jesus with this kingdom. They're saying, you're the one who's going to restore stuff. We're looking to you. Will you at this time do this? Will you do this? And notice that, that, that they're looking towards a kingdom that's not in heaven, but heaven come on earth. Now that's really important to highlight. It's really important to highlight because sometimes some of us who emphasize the proclaiming, the talking, forget that the talking is meant to be in the flesh. (laughs) It's meant to be on the ground. It's meant to see people and love them. It's meant to hear people and know them as Jesus did. But then the last thing here, what is it? It's not only doing and teaching as Jesus did and taught and what he did and taught. It's not only seeing Jesus as our Lord, but it's looking to Jesus' return. And this is at the end of our passage. In verse 9, it says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on. And I want you to think about the story. Like, imagine it. When Jesus said these things, they were looking on, and he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And that language right there is saying that God's presence is here, and it took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, so they're looking up, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And most theologians think these are angels. When something really crazy happens in the Bible, angels show up. Two men stood by them in white robes, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he was ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And that last part, they're telling the church, this Jesus you saw raised up, who ascended, he's going to come back. Everyone say, he's going to come back. And, and, And what does the Jesus who comes back say to us? What does he say to us, church? You know what he says in Revelation 21? If you're here and you feel weary, if you're here and you feel just like the early church did, like we're the wrong people, you chose the wrong people, listen to what this Jesus says in Revelation 21. It says, John gets his vision and he sees it in verse 3. He says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and this is Jesus speaking, behold the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And listen to this, if you've come here with tears, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Listen to this, if you've been bombarded and surrounded by death and wondering what's going to happen and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed and new things are coming. He says... And he who was seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. So what is bearing witness to the gospel? It's doing and teaching as Jesus taught. It's looking to Jesus as your Lord and trusting yourself to him. But it's also to looking to his return. That he's going to come back. I know you're, you're thinking practically what is it. But hold on a second. Hold on. We've got we to get some theology. We've got to get some of the Bible before we say what is it practically. And I want to read... A quick story to illustrate this before we go to the practical. In urban apologetics, there's a there's a brilliant woman named Tiffany Gill. It's I'm not hating on the other the other authors, but this is one of my favorite chapters in the book. Um, and listen to what she says about Fanny Lou Hamer. You guys know who that is. She says, um, <clears throat> born in 1917 the 20th child of sharecroppers in Mississippi, Hamer lived most of her life in poverty. Mrs. Hamer experienced the worst of white supremacy firsthand. For example, I want to give you a warning before I read this. If you want to cover your ears, this is, this is pretty graphic. It says, for example, she was sterilized without her consent in 1961 after seeking treatment for a uterine fibroid tumor. She suffered greatly for her commitment to Christ and her belief that those created in the image of God were bestowed with dignity. Hamer lost her job, was thrown off the plantation she called home. She was arrested. She was shot at. She was beaten so bad in Mississippi jail that she suffered permanent kidney damage, all for asserting that simple truth. That's what bearing witness to the gospel is. It's doing and teaching what Jesus did and taught as Fannie Lou Hamer did. But you know, alongside Fannie Lou Hamer, I'm sure I asked you the question, can you imagine when you think about evangelism and outreach, who do you think about? For me, I thought about that that quote about Fannie Lou Hamer. But in addition, I remember when I was in Chattanooga, there was this woman named Colin Schmidt. You guys know who Colin Schmidt is? Paul and Schmidt was married to Rudy Schmidt. They are an extraordinary couple that encouraged me and changed my life when I was in college. They chose every Sunday, it was just kind of annoying, but it was, it was good. They chose every Sunday to make sure that they um, met someone and invited someone new into their home. Usually at church, sometimes out of church, wherever it was. And, and, and they did that not just because they wanted to beat them with the Bible, but because they wanted to love and invite them into fellowship. They wanted to, to, to show the people that they met that you are seen and loved. In fact, she fed me one of my favorite meals. She bought the stuff. It's called Lomo Saltado. Um, it's a Peruvian dish. You guys don't know what that is, do you? Ah! Oh, if you buy the meat, I'll make it for you. Invite me over. Um, but we made that at her house, and, and she would have, just, just have these, She would be a great host and have all these people over her house um, because she wanted to love them, because she, she was bearing witness to the good news she received, because she wanted to do and teach as Jesus did and taught. She viewed Jesus as her Lord, and she looked to his return, trying to, trying to make heaven on earth now. So now let's get to the practical. I know you're thinking about this. What does it mean to bear witness? You guys aren't thinking about that? Yes, we are. Yeah, I think you're thinking about it. <laughs> what does it look like practically to bear witness to the gospel? Not only do we have those examples, Fanny Lou Hamer, Rudy, and Colin Schmidt, but um, I've, got, I've got some ideas. Because um, I think Jesus, he, he gives us this, this beautiful example in John 13, which is one of my, my favorite passages. Um, Jesus shows us that bearing witness to the gospel is proclaiming, and demonstrating. It's, it, those two things go hand in hand. If you know John 13, Jesus kneels down and he washes his disciples' feet. And it's in that context that he tells them a new commandment I give to you. Do y'all know what that new commandment is? You are to love one another as I have loved you. You are to love one another as I have loved you. You know, they knew what it meant to love one another. They were taught you're to love one another. But then he adds as I have loved you. That's the commandment we're, giving, we're being given. And I think, and I would argue this, <laughs> um, the commandment he's giving us is one that helps us to see others and enter into friendship with them. Loving as Jesus loved is incarnational. It's, it's moving, using your privileges, your place, your spot, and choosing to stoop low and wash feet. Now, I know some of you are like, well, what, is that, what does that really mean? Some of you are married. It means choosing to, to love and, and, and kneel and wash the feet of your spouse. Some of you are single, and, and it means doing that for your friends. Jesus wasn't married. He did that to his disciples. Are you known for someone who chooses to stoop down, wash the feet, and love others as friends? That's what bearing witness to the gospel means. And and the reason I'm saying this, this is critical, is because in the context we live in, some of the old models we had of bearing witness, like handing out evangelism explosion cards, they don't work. I'm not saying they don't always work. Sometimes they do work. But right now, I think, honestly, one of the greatest apologetics we can have in our context is friendship. You guys have heard me say that. But then more practically, as New City West End... Some of you, I want you to encourage. I want to encourage you. Join a house church, bearing witness to the gospel. For you might practically mean join a group of people who see you and love you, and then encourage you to see and love others at work. I I don't know wherever wherever you go, wherever you dwell. At schnooks, at all these on the street with your neighbors. And I also just want to want to say, bearing witness to the gospel looks like us learning. From places like Friendly Temple or, or faithful people who've been committed here for a long time. There, there are lots. I have a neighbor who gave me 50 bucks to go out to, to eat dinner with my, um, with my wife. And it was awesome. Um, so why? Why should we wear, bear witness to the gospel? So not only what is it, but why? Why, why we do it? And this is, this is simple. Because we belong to God. Because we belong to God. Look with me in verse 7. Jesus responds to his his disciples. He says to them, "It It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Notice he's saying God is in authority over times and seasons. That's implicit. He's saying it's not for you to know. You don't know, but God is an authority over the times and the seasons. And earlier we were told that this people who are receiving this in in, in verse 2, they were a chosen people. They were God's chosen people. And it's His promises that they're receiving, right? It's the promises of God that, that they belong to Him. The promises that He has brought us into relationship with Him but also notice, this is, this is, yeah, this is very important. Part of what Jesus does in this phrase, you know, they ask him the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus responds, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Part of what Jesus is doing with that is he's encouraging us, just as he was encouraging them, to have their eyes fixed on God and his mission. Not necessarily on the times. We don't know what we don't know. But have our eyes fixed on God and His mission. Recognizing that we're not our own, but we were purchased by His blood. Church, I can't can't overemphasize this. You are God's people. Do you believe that? And who's the God you belong to? The Bible said that He's full of steadfast love and faithfulness. He created the world by speaking. That's the God you belong to. He's the God who stooped down in Christ and became flesh so that you might know him. That's the God we belong to. The Bible says that that, um, for God so loved the world. You guys know that passage. That's speaking over you. For God so loved you. For God so loved us. He sees you. He loves you. We can't stress this point. We read it earlier in Psalm 95. We're God's people. And this God, he loves us. He moves towards us. And since we belong to God, it's our, mission, it's, it's our mission to bear witness to him, to share the good news in the midst of hardships and stuff. Have any of you guys seen the movie 1917? It's a recent movie. It's dated, you know. None of y'all seen it? Oh, man. Oh, man. One of you have seen it, yes! Well, I'll tell you about it. Let me tell you about this movie. I won't ruin it, but there's these two guys in this movie, and, 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 and they're in the midst of war. And there are these two guys, these, these two sergeants. One of them is named Blake. The other one is named Schofield. And these two guys, imagine them. They get, they get told, um, you have a mission. They, they get this message, this paper. They have to take this message to to a battalion of 2,000 people, and this message tells the battalion, you're about to walk into a trap, and you're all about to die. They're told, you have this message. You have to go through the battle, literally, both sides fighting, with the message to deliver, knowing that there's 2,000 people, and to add to it, Blake, Sergeant Blake, one of his brothers was part of that battalion. And they were told, you have this message to take to this group. And, and, and throughout the movie, you can, you can feel it. There's darkness that encompasses them all around. they are bullets, they are bombs, there's lots of hardship that they go through. They're hungry. One of them gets stuck under these rocks, and the other one takes them out. And eventually, Blake, the guy who has the brother in the 2000, he he He, he dies. And it's Schofield who goes to the end with this message to the 2,000 to share with them, you're about, you're, you're about to walk into a trap. You're about to walk into the trap. And, and I know maybe this is cheesy. It's just a movie. But this is exactly what the Bible is telling us. You have a message that others need to hear. You have a message that you have been bestowed to bear witness to the gospel as God's people. And listen... I know I know it's difficult for us to think about this, but the church, it's been thrown down to the dogs for centuries, hasn't it? Do you remember the church was enslaved in Egypt, in Israel? But God came and rescued them. Do you remember the church was thrown into rivers to die, but God came and rescued them? The church, for centuries has been thrown to the dogs. And this is a quote from G.K. Chesterton. But he says, in every case, it was the dog that died, not the church. Church, you are the church this, morning, this afternoon. We are the church. We are God's people. We must bear witness to the gospel that we belong to our God who loves us, who meets us. So what, is, what does that look like Practically. We've been reading this book called Surprise the World and I just want to say, first of all, if you want a copy, we can get it to you. But in that book, it encourages us to live questionable lives. Live in such a way to and for our neighbors that, ask, that, that, that causes them to ask questions about why you live how you live. Why are you so patient? Why are you so kind? Why are you so loving? Why are you, why are you presently involved in all this stuff? Live questionable lives. Practically. I don't know what that means for you. I'm certain you all have friends. You all have co-workers. You all have family members even. That the Lord might be tugging at your heart to proclaim and demonstrate. To do and teach the gospel. And practically also, Steve mentioned this earlier, we're having the West Fest Saturday, November 6th. Come. We're, we're being hosts to our community. Come and and. and, and volunteer. Come and enjoy it as hosts. But also, there's a pumpkin patch Saturday, October 30th. Those of you with your gadgets, you can mark those on your calendar. November 6th, Saturday, October 30th. October 30th and then November 6th. So it's two Saturdays back to back. All right, but how? How can we do this? How can we bear witness to the gospel? I'd be a fool if I didn't point you to this, and also it's, it's, it's in our passage, just the strongest point in our passage. How can we do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, it says, but you, that's talking to us, his church, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And as we're reading this in our moment in time, You could also rephrase that by saying, but you have received power because the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And Jesus says this, notice, it says, and you will be my witnesses. There's something funny there. It's a command. He's commanding us. You will be my witnesses. But he's also saying, this is a statement of fact. This is going to happen. You will be my witnesses. Notice that phrase, my witnesses. My, we belong to Him. We are His. We will be His witnesses. You know what's in that too? And I hope you hear this. It's that you cannot do this on your own. It's Him who does it in and through you, it's Him who does it in and through all of us. And I want to emphasize this point because many of us in churches think that it's the professionals who do the bearing witness, it's the pastors, it's the deacons, it's the leaders of the ministries. That's a lie. Right, Deacon Hart, you were telling me we're connected. All of us are called to bear witness to the gospel. You all, right now, in your spheres of relationships, are called to bear witness to the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit that we have received. We've received this power. I want you to hear that again. You will receive power. You have received power. Because the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And listen to this last phrase. In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's us. We're the end of the earth. We've received this. That's us. We're the end of the earth. But also notice, in Jerusalem and in all Judea Samaria and to the end of the earth, that's, that's a geographic marker, right? That's saying that there's a center that's moving out. It's, it's in, it's in this, this point and it's moving out. This is critical to highlight, especially in our cultural moment, because a lot of people who say that Christianity is Western, it was started in Western Europe, this is in the ancient Middle East. And one of the places it moves out to is Egypt, which is where? Yeah. So it's a lie. You can say that's CAP when they say Christianity was started in Western Europe. That's CAP, it's not true. That's what the kids say. They say that's cap. It means they're lying. It's not true. The church was started with a peculiar people that were from different places. It it was a movement in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria. But it's not just a geographic marker of moving out. It's also a um, socio-political marker and an ethnic marker. And I want to emphasize that. It means that it goes to all people. It's good news of great joy for all people. For all people. Does that mean that anyone who comes up to you, you get to say no to? No. It goes to all people. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Church, the only way we can do this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the great promise is that he's, he's already with us. The Holy Spirit has been with us. Tiffany Gill, the one I quoted earlier, she keeps talking, or she keeps writing, and then, and then she says this about the church, specifically the black church. She says, the black church has survived against all odds. Its survival is quite possibly God's strongest apologetic for the power of the gospel within American Christianity. The black church, it's a miracle. Her history should cause believers to fall on to their knees in worship and gratitude for the ways the Lord has maintained a faithful and enduring witness among a people who by every estimate should have been only a memory. Do y'all hear that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're an inheritor of that? I wasn't raised a Christian. I didn't come to know Christ until I was in high school. I was raised in a trailer park, pretty poor. My mom speaks Spanish. She's from Peru. You guys have, have, have heard some of these stories. Um, and she was working three jobs. I'm a first-generation immigrant. I'm an Argentine-Peruvian that was raised in the states, but it, it, it felt like sometimes the church, when it came to evangelize, it would come and just leave, you know, evangelism um, cards and then leave. It would just—it was like a—it was like a drive-by. They would just come and drop off. You guys need Christ. Peace out. But then there was Debbie signs and Fernando signs, and I and I know I've told this to some of you. Um, they came and they built a relationship with my mom. And they loved her. They started to, to help her find one job instead of three. They started helping her drive places instead of taking the bus. They started helping her possibly get a car. They started helping her um, befriending her. And, and that rubbed off on me. It would take too long to unpack the whole story. But I want you to know that, that God came in that dark moment for me and my family. I was, I was drinking too much for a little kid. I was smoking pot. I was sexually immoral. I was fighting. I was, I, was, I was doing stuff you weren't supposed to do as a little kid. And part of it was because I was reacting out of the abuse that I have experienced. And, and I was lost. But God came. He came through Hernando's signs and Debbie's signs who bore witness to the gospel. He came through them to show me that God loves me and that the Holy Spirit is here and now with me church we're called to bear witness to the gospel because Jesus has ascended and has given us the holy spirit you know if you're here right now and you don't know Christ you know you don't know Christ maybe you're online i just i want to gently nudge you to consider who is the Christ you're rejecting is it the one who's revealed himself in scripture the one who was an immigrant the one who was a refugee the one who was unjustly arrested and unjustly put on trial and unjustly killed? Is that the one you're rejecting? Because that's the one who's came to make himself known to us. The one who stooped down to wash our feet. I encourage you to, to, to consider that question. Are you rejecting the Jesus who's revealed himself in Scripture? And I also want you to encourage, to encourage you to admit that your heart has been longing for something, something more. Admit that your heart has been looking to Jesus. And and, and then take the next step. I know it might be hard, but believe. Believe that there's mercy offered for you in Christ. And then confess it with your mouth. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So admit, believe, and confess. And I want to say kind of like a warning to millennials. And this is coming from a millennial. I'm 31 years old. So those of you who are younger than me, this is for you. There's a lot of stuff you see on TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, all of the social medias that we eat, that we watch, that we absorb every single day. TV shows, movies that are teaching you who Jesus is. They're showing you who you're supposed to think Jesus is. And they're telling you, you can't trust and follow, really, that Jesus. And they're telling you, you, you have to deconstruct and dismantle um, your faith because it's, it's a lie. It's not helpful. It's not good. And you're being taught that every day. In fact, um, there's lots of stats that say a lot of millennials are full of anxiety, that suicide numbers are increasing. A lot of millennials don't know what to do when they don't have a gadget with them. I think I read a stat that said we spend 85% of our of our time awake on social media. That's shocking. It's teaching you something. It's teaching you who Jesus is and who you're like how you're not supposed to profess faith in him. But more more practically, for those of you who, who are trusting and following Jesus, I just have two things. One. Learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. Learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. Go, go in solitude. Maybe, maybe hold your hands up and, and pray a psalm. Um, pray, pray God's word over yourself and receive. Some of you need to hear this. Receive. You're great doers, but have you received the power? Have you received the message that you are loved? That you are God's people? Receive from the Holy Spirit the truth that he cries out, Abba, Father, in you. I also say, the second thing is learn Christ. This is also in the book we've been reading. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Learn Christ. What does that mean? Read and reread the Gospels to see and make sure that you're being made into his image instead of making him into your image. Read and reread the Gospels. Read and reread the Bible. Do it together. I'm done here. I'm, I'm done. This is the last thing I'm going to say. I think I'm done. I don't know how much time that's been. I'm not mad. I know my voice sounds like that sometimes, but I'm not. I'm tired. <laughs> um, church, the only way we can bear witness to the gospel is because the Holy Spirit's the one that anointed Jesus, and he's chosen to anoint us. That same Holy Spirit, the Bible says that Jesus' resurrection was empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, 15 through 17, you've heard me say this over and over. It says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, telling us, crying in our hearts, Abba, Father. Because Jesus sent him and Jesus calls him a helper. Jesus calls him an advocate who fills us up and dwells in and through us. Because guess what? We cannot bear witness without the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Do you know Him? Do you know the Holy Spirit? The the person and the work of the Holy Spirit is what made Jesus' ministry possible. And it's the one that has been given to us. You've been endowed with the Holy Spirit. You may think you're too small, too weak, too old. But the Holy Spirit dwells in you and He will intercede for you. He does and He will continue to do it. The church has been thrown out to the dogs, but in every case, the dog died because the Holy Spirit was with the church. Praise him. Praise the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit right now with us. Jesus Christ is ascended and seated at the right hand of God. And the Holy Spirit is right now bearing witness with us that the gospel is good news for all people. Let's pray. Thanks for listening and God bless.